we know it is an absolutely crazy time in terms of buying, probably safe to say record levels of golf equipment being purchased right now. This is episode number 81 of No Putts Given. We've got Chris, Harry, and Tony. We're getting it. And guys, right off the top today, I want to tackle some business. We had an article go out earlier this week on a luxury golf watch. We all know Tag Heuer as a luxury watch brand. They're getting into the watch business. But I wanted to gather some opinions. $2,500 for a golf watch. Do you think it's a non-starter? I don't have $2,500 to go spend on a watch. If it opened my garage, my door, like shut the dog up. Your garage? Like, yes, I just don't have that money. But what if it did, Chris? It's got some awesome yes. features, right? It's, it's getting close. It might be able to open your garage. It's not just a golf GPS thing. It's a full-on wearable. The whole dynamics of the any luxury market are always so fascinating, right? And they're super predictable because you throw out the price point, right? People can't ignore the price of something. And so right away, that kind of plays on people's, you know, backgrounds and interests and stuff. And you say, oh, $2,500 for a wearable or for a, a smartwatch or, you know, whatever the case is. Certain people say, I'm not going to pay $2,500 for any watch. It might as well be a million dollars. If I don't have you know, 1500 for a watch, 2000 for a watch, $2,500 doesn't make any difference, right? And then you have other people that say, well, they're looking at it in a totally different context and saying, okay, well, compared to other things maybe that I purchase, or if I am a watch person, and maybe I, that's kind of my thing, and I have several nice high-end, you know, luxury timepieces, maybe I've spent Five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars on watches, and you're looking as, at- as soon as you call it a timepiece. <laughs> yeah, you're in a different, <laughs> you're in elite class now. That's Casio, don't make no timepiece. <laughs> and the only reason I called it that is because I read the article. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I, I don't often refer to things as timepieces, and, and I, for me personally, yeah, I mean, that's that's not my space, it's not my my particular world i mean i can't you are not you know, fancy twenty five hundred dollars like that's that's a lot of ice cream it's a lot of you know <laughs> I mean, yes chris it is a lot of ice cream <laughs> it is well i got i mean i'd have to just take it straight out of my kids college fund you know and so but people that are looking at that watch aren't having those same conversations with themselves likely they're not yeah that's it's true. not this or that it's not oh i if i spent twenty five hundred dollars on this watch then i can't spend twenty five hundred dollars on something else I wish I was like a watch person. I might be if I was rich, but if I was rich, <laughs> you'd call them timepieces. I would definitely have a golf. Like it would have. Oh, I've got to take my Rolex off to put this tag Hoyer on to go go play golf. But that's it. That's the demographic. These people for have, sure. Yeah. You got a Rolex or an Omega or a, you know. I guess there's you know a number of other brands out there. And if you are living in the Hall of Fame, you are living with Rory likely in Dubai in the Hall of Fame. The two things that are always commonly uh, commonly held beliefs like oh that's terrible why would you do that blah 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 blah. it's like the existence of higher more expensive price goods doesn't eliminate the existence of lower price goods so you don't want to spend twenty five hundred dollars on a watch still get your casio i mean you got shot scope right you got garmin you have these you're talking a couple hundred bucks. I mean, if you want. Well, hold on. The Garmin, from what I understand, also has an equally expensive luxury golf watch. Correct, Harry? Last year, we did test a Garmin and a Casio 
to throw that in there, which was a huge expense, just like $2,500. And I mean, dude, it was one of those watches that I was like, I could spend my whole lifetime and not get to every single feature within this watch because it had yeah. just unlimited. But like the base one, like the S62, what does that cost? Like you want uh, a good Garmin? I think it was like 499 but don't quote me on that. It was it was up at end of like five, okay. you know, close to 500. And I think the second place one, right, Shotscope V3, little over 200 bucks in that area. So I guess the point is that you could have you know, several $5,000 GPS watches. I mean, Rolex could come out with their own. Tag could come out with a, you know, a more expensive version of that one. It doesn't eliminate all the other options on the market. So the, the fact that people get so bothered and so worked up about how expensive something else is that somebody else can purchase and like yeah that is true a lot of people like don't like the pxg because of their expensive kind of aspect i was like well don't buy it then listen if you if you can't if you can't afford it and don't just don't buy it at the end of the day but now they have like a really good uh value side well we, we keep saying you have to be a watch person in order to appreciate something like this. I might tend to disagree. What if you're just a technology person or you want to enhance your game? You don't want to have to worry about taking something out that's phone-sized and you're willing to make an investment in that. Do you have to really be a luxury watch person in order to appreciate something like this? A lot of that way you say is if you're, if you're a GPS person, you're either a watch person or a handheld. You're not, a, you're not a watch person because you like the handheld version because you can't swing with a watch on. Either you go the watch route or you don't. So it depends. If you're a watch person... Timepiece. You're going to go with a watch nine times out of ten. Timepiece, time yeah. I think, Miranda, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and I guess PXG is a good um, analogy for that because right back, you know, one of the things that Bob uh, Parsons would always say is that, you know, yeah, it's a luxury, but it's an affordable luxury. So mm. if this was something you really wanted, you know, to spend three, $4,000 on a set of irons, it wasn't like, hey, you got one option that's $1,200 and then the next option is $150,000. So it's not like you're going from like a Honda to a Bugatti or something like that. So could you say, yeah, I want to spend, I mean, you could buy a laptop get a really nice laptop or this Tag Heuer, uh, Tag Heuer um, timepiece watch GPS. So Well, and there's probably a solid subset of people that would buy it for golf purposes. And then the secondary purposes would be that it is a step tracker or fitness tracker or Harry opens your garage yeah. or whatever it may be. Those could be secondary reasons to make this investment. And here's the other part is if you want to get into that space, right? A lot of the... You know, whether it's, you know, the more fine jewelry approach, and, and Dave did a good job pointing this out in the article, you look at some of the other models of Tag Heuer watches, uh, you know, they're $6,000, $10,000, $25,000. So if you want a watch that you can wear on the course, it has that name and, and probably some of those associations. $2,500 is actually a pretty low price point as an entry point into that brand, right? You're not going to have a lot of Tag Heuer timepieces that are only $2,500. So it gets you into, you know, into that particular arena as well. What other stuff did the Tag Heuer do? It's standard kind of fitness tracking type stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there was, it was either Garmin or Casio last year that they had skydiving, skiing. That was Garmin. Was that Garmin? That was Garmin. Yeah. Uh, that was like, had loads of different sports that you could do. 
as is the tag hoyer the same way or is it just yeah i don't think it it's quite that extensive as far as fitness tracking and those things but again because you know because you, there's a software component or there's always an opportunity for you know application based components it's a lot easier to update software than it is hardware right mm. and so mm. if they wanted to come out with you know other versions of that and say okay now they're going to have their you know swiss chalet series of timepieces and you know, I don't know, get winter sports in there, or whatever. There's, you know, there's clearly a market for it. Um, there's absolutely a market for it. And and if you're complaining about it, guess what? You're not, not in the for market you. for it. They're not that worried about you. <laughs> you know? That is funny. That's always one of my favorite responses. I'm looking at it right now. So it does golf, running, cycling, walking, fitness, other. I don't know what other is. Maybe it is opening your garage door. Yoga. But my, my thinking on something like this, right? If you're in the market for something to use exclusively for golf, you know, unless you really are a connoisseur of fine timepieces, uh, it, it probably doesn't make Ooh, sense. Connoisseur. But if this is the kind of thing, you know, this is my thought process, right? If this is something you're going to use every day, it's going to be on your wrist constantly, right? It's you know, in that type of scenario, I think it does make sense to to spend something. Yeah, it's time. It's timeless. All right, it's something of not only of, of higher <laughs> quality, but but that looks nice and you know has yeah. a little bit of class to it. So I can see it again. Probably not for me. I'm, you know, I'm with with Chris and you know, in, in that kind of thinking. But you know, if I was a timepiece guy and I played golf and 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 yeah, I would I would definitely consider it. We do love feedback from our readers and the results of our golfer's choice survey are in. Some interesting things to break down, but before we do that, it included 9,640 readers who contributed to the survey. And essentially we collected data on their buying habits for the last year, which Tony was actually surprisingly high despite COVID over the last year. Yeah. So some quick background. I mean, we we do these surveys from time to time anyway, and this was a particularly interesting one. Like we always are interested in what our readers are are buying because it, it helps us understand, you know, which brands are, are popular with our readers specifically, not just golfers. As you mentioned, right, we really wanted to sort of gauge the impact that COVID had on, on buying cycles in particular. Uh, because mm -hmm. we know, like we know it is an absolutely crazy time in terms of buying, yeah, probably safe to say record levels of golf equipment being purchased right now. I think if you reach out to any of the OEMs and ask them what their turnaround times are on, on custom product right now, <laughs> it's it's insane. It's, it's typically over a month. At least. Minimum. Last time I checked anyway, which was a couple of weeks ago, Titleist, which is in pretty good shape, is quoting 20 business days turnaround time on custom. And there are reasons for that. Even even if the golf companies have their own products, they don't necessarily have shaft. Shaft companies are, are kind of back ordered. Grip mm -hmm. companies, Golf Pride Grips. in particular, is way way back ordered. At least was so. And like some are not even in existence. Like some's like, eh, nope, can't get it. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, that temporarily does not even exist. So just kind of a really interesting way of kind of looking at the at the market at a, as a whole and and see. You know, not only what consumers are, are buying, but how much they're buying, which is which is just really fascinating to me. Yep. And if you didn't have a chance to take our survey, feel free to leave a comment below. If you've ordered anything that's on back order, you're still waiting for. We love to get that feedback, understand the market a little bit more. But let's jump into some of the results, guys. It's not a surprise that the market leaders dominated most categories. But what I 
did find surprising is the order in which they did. Let's look at drivers first. TaylorMade is at the top, which probably not much of a surprise, right? No, market leaders are market leaders for a reason. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know. But Ping ranks above Callaway and Cobra, which to to us might not be that surprising because Ping has done really well in our most wanted testing. However, those are huge forces that Ping are, are is now starting to outperform according to our readers. Yeah, I guess a couple things that, that stand out first. Yeah, Ping is is doing better in the driver category than I would have expected. Now, I do think it is is important mm-hmm. to point out. The, the question was, you know, first, have you if have you bought a new driver within the last year? And then the follow up, which brand did you buy? So that's your background here in TaylorMade Ping Callaway. I mean, I think if I recall, it's one and a half percentage points between the two of them. And it's it's really, really tight. Okay. Ping and Callaway, you know, functionally, you could say tied for a second. But yeah, you do see three really strong brands. And again, I'm, I'm a little surprised to see Ping as strong as Callaway and TaylorMade in the driver category. But like you said, they've done really well in our testing over the years. And, th- and they do really well fitting a range of golfers. So if if you struggle with a massive slice, there's a ping driver for you. If you, you know, want something forgiving, but that isn't slow and and short, they've got a driver for you. If you need to cut a little bit of spin, they dabble in everything but the lightweight category. So, you know, like I said, I do a really good job offering something for almost everybody. How about uh, fairway woods and hybrids, Tony? You found some interesting feedback there. Yeah, the, the, so the, the big thing I would say right out of the gate with the with the fairway wood, we talk about buying cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, golfers replace their equipment every three to six years, depending on you know how avid a golfer they are and, and what category of club we're talking about. So we assume our readers tend to to replace a little more often than than a typical golfer, but generally speaking, fairway woods are a once every five to six year replacement. So you would expect maybe 20% would purchase a new fairway wood in a given year. You know, we're seeing over 40% of the people who took this survey replaced a fairway wood within the last year, which is just an astronomical percentage. That kind of speaks to the health of the industry right now. That's kind of a big number to begin with. And then if we look at the individual breakdown again, Callaway and TaylorMade, you know, by, by the numbers, Callaway slightly ahead but again functionally a tie and then it's it's a more significant drop down to to ping and titleist and then another step down to to cobra chris are you surprised to see that many people buying a new fairway wood or hybrid this year um yes and no i think the combination you may have some you know people that are new golfers or people that are newer or maybe pick the game up again and haven't been playing for a while and part of that is hey i'm going to get some new equipment you know, uh, to me, what's interesting throughout the entire survey is to kind of see where responses tracked with our testing and the mm-hmm. places where it deviated from our testing. And so just bouncing back to the drivers real quick, that really tended to follow a lot of our historical testing. Like Tony said, Ping has tested very, very well, right? Historically, Callaway, Callaway yeah. has tested exceptionally well. Obviously, most wanted driver this year, and that's not the first time Callaway's been in that position with us. And so 
it has followed the performance of the test. And we get down a little bit later in the survey, and we have some places where it deviates from the testing a little bit, but not so much with metalwoods. With one exception in the hybrid and fairway wood category, I was surprised to see tour edge so far toward the bottom. Historically, they've tested pretty well. You know, and I don't know how much this impacts them with putting a lot of their emphasis into PGA Tour champions and kind of an older demographic. You know, if that hasn't necessarily translated as well with the typical My Golf Spy consumer, because historically their hybrids and fairway woods have performed at, as good, if not better, than a lot of the market leaders, people that are much higher up on that food chain right now. So that one I, uh, kind of popped out to me as well. I would add to the hybrid piece of it is absolutely fascinating. I was talking to a uh, an insider, one of my contacts at an OEM, and basically said they don't have good data on hybrid replacement cycles. They can tell you, hey, the average turnaround time on a driver is X. Hybrid replacement cycles. Why would that be? Well, it turns out that a lot, maybe even a majority <laughs> of golfers are still playing the first hybrid they ever purchased. Ah. That's why. <laughs> so it's sort of like this, almost to a degree, I, you know, for some golfers, a near infinite lifespan product. And so, and we see this too, it's like our hybrid stories get no traction. Nobody, nobody seems to care about hybrids. So I write a lot of those. So I appreciate, yeah, appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> it's brutal. And, and like, it's some really interesting stuff. Just nobody gives a damn. One of the interesting things about the hybrid purchases is there's there's four companies where majority of hybrids are sold, and you got you got your TaylorMade, Ping, Callaway, and Titleist, and that's at like above fifteen percent. It's about yeah, those four brands are eyeballing seventy percent of hybrids, I would say. Yeah, and then you go and then you go one just below ten percent, and that's Cobra, and then everything else right. is like low four percent. It's kind of interesting that those four dominate. But we saw the same thing, whether it was driver, fairway, hybrid, you know, the big five, right, as they're typically called. And, you know, Cobra tends to be a little smaller than the others in that big five. But when you you look at that, it's it's TaylorMade, Ping, Callaway, Titleist, Cobra every time for, for driver, fairway, hybrid. And then it's really interesting that PXG was was sixth. I, that surprised me. They, they were next in line. And again, you know, they're not really sniffing TaylorMade numbers, but... You know, consistently getting more responses across the board in in the metalwood category, more purchases than you mentioned Torred, right? And and Wilson and Mizuno and pick any other company, right? So, you know, they're they're not with the big boys yet, but they're climbing the ladder. And I mean, what are they like six, seven years old at this point? And you know, they've they've kind of cracked through yeah. in a way that that these well established brands haven't. Well, right. Like you take a Wilson, like Wilson's always hovered right around kind of a similar market share, right? And if you were to trace the history, right, which we've done a little bit of with PXG, the fact to think that we'd be talking about them as, you know, maybe the leading company of the not five, you know, and I guess kind of college football analogy, whatever, like yeah. take out your power five conference, you know, take that and say, okay, what's the absolute best team you know, in college football, that isn't one of your power five conferences. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking about like, what was it, like UCF, like Central Fo I was just getting ready to say that when UCF said they were the national champions. <laughs> Miranda loves football reference. <laughs> I was like, yes. 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 But like, so PXG is the UCF where it's like, hey, they can make, you know, and, and again, people 
really struggle with some of the hype and hyperbole and the boisterous attitude and all those things with PhD. But bottom line is people it's resonating with people. It's clearly resonating with millions and millions and millions of buyers out there. And you can't you can hate it, like it, whatever, but like you said, the facts the facts are there. It's the best of the next set. PXG might not be resonating with the wedges though when it's like 600 a wedge. Well, yeah, hang on. There was a lot of discounts through COVID with PXG. Do you think that that's part of it? And if they can if they yeah, trade well, yeah. back to their old prices, sure. that we continue to see PXG gaining market share or do you think that if they go back to their old price model then, you know, they fall off again? They have 0211 now though. So they've yeah. diversified. Okay. They're going to maintain that that O211 at an at affordable price. They're going to have the more premium Gen stuff, which is right now Gen Four. And you know, again, looking at these charts and and talking about trends over time, right? We talk about the Big Five. They've been the Big Five for as long as I can remember. And you know, they they might mm-hmm. go like this, but but you don't you know, TaylorMade is is not going to be the number eight brand in any category anytime soon, right? The they are to a large degree these Big Five effectively flatlined, right? They're, you know, again, a little bit of movement, but they're not jumping all around. And you've seen, right. again, similarly on the on the lower end with with brands again, Wilson, Cleveland, you know, to an extent, Torridge, they're flatlining on the lower end of things, not making big moves. And you know, within again since inception, PXG is is the company that is is moving up. And I would also add, you know, when we look at the direct to consumer space and and small company space, sub 70 is another one. That, this was the other huge one. Yeah. Yeah, that, yep. that kind of pops up. And you're like, to, to look at, you know, granted, hybrid is a who gives a shit category as much as it pains me to say that because I think it's a really fascinating category. I think it's something golfers should pay more attention to. But you also like wedge grinds. Yeah, I do. So there's a lot of things I feel golfers are are not appreciating enough in my mind anyway. Uh, but again, sub 70, kind of a, a really small, relatively new company. And with our readers to see, you know, their hybrid sales eclipse. And I think the same with the the Fairway Woods as well to see to see them eclipse brands like Wilson and Cleveland with with our readers. And, and in some cases, Torridge, it's like, man, that's uh that's surprising. Do you think that PXG went that way, that started to grow because of their price cuts during COVID? Hell yeah. You look at where they are today and they're kind of hitting on all cylinders now. As Tony mentioned, they're going to have the new generation stuff. So right now it's Gen 4. That's their higher price point. They're going to have the milled wedge, as they said, they're you know, 600, 650 bucks a pop. Then you have 0211, right? Which again, at a more friendly price point, obviously performance is pretty good. The 0211 driver did exceptionally well in our testing this year. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it actually did a little bit better than the Gen 4 in some regards. Then now that they're on to a fourth generation, they have liquidation opportunities with remaining Gen 3 stuff and could continue to sell that in between or whatever price point they want until that's gone and it's ready to kind of recycle Gen 4. And so now they have categories of all these different things where it's you can't really have a buyer go say, oh, well, I can't afford that or they don't have anything for me. It's just the opposite. You can't make the excuse now that, hey, they don't have something at a price point commensurate or performance commensurate with that price point as other brands do. 
Yeah, and there, are, I mean, like you said, there are reasons that people won't buy PXG. I, you know, I get it, right? There's reasons why lots of people don't buy lots of things, but it's it's very difficult to look at that O211 lineup or, you know, when COVID hit, when they did the the discounting on the the Gen two and Gen three stuff, and say that you know it is it's a price argument anymore. Yeah, there there's some stuff mm-hmm. in the lineup that that is going to be too spendy for a lot of people, but they're they are now sure. at a point where they are price competitive. And I think, you know, as, as as much as we see them climbing the charts here, I don't think Bob is going to, you know, look at this and go, yeah, super psyched to be number six, brother. Like, that's not going <laughs> to. He'll say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he is not going to be super excited about it, but they're upwardly, <laughs> upwardly mobile at this point, which is, you know, not not something we see a lot of in the golf company where or, uh, industry where everybody tends to be relatively flat. All right, let's move on to irons. I think we've beaten them into submission and into you've got to care about hybrids. So damn it. Right. Last week uh, in our iron discussion uh, for players distance, we talked about how Mizuno still seems to do really well, also performs really well with our readers. That came back as true in this survey as well. But Tony, what we found in the iron breakdown of interesting things that we gathered is the type of iron that people are playing, right? Yeah. So this is this is one where we asked the question about what type of iron do you have in your bag? What category? So players, distance players, game improvement, that sort of thing. And you know, and I think we we've made some assumptions for a long time when we schedule and prioritize our most wanted tests. So it was it was really surprising to me to see. You know, players' cavity backs at about 35%, by far the the most popular category with our readers. Players' distance, which we Mm. assumed would be way high, was, you know, only about 18%. SGI, which tends to be a big mover at retail, less than 5% for our readers. Combo sets, which, again, is another thing I believe strongly in and I think more golfers should consider, uh, much like a very nice hybrid. Really, again, (laughs) you know, around 5%. The big one that that just blew my mind was blade muscleback, the most unforgiving, difficult, <laughs> just brutal golf clubs to play. Eleven uh, percent of of you bought blades or musclebacks within the last year, and we we think that's you know it, it's kind of crazy to see that. Why would that be? Well, the one thing to keep in mind, you know, again, full context here: eleven percent of our readers, the market as a whole, blades are maybe one to two percent. You are talking yeah. our guys going five x what what the market as a whole plays, and we know there's some ego and some some goofy shit that goes into that. Like, well, if I hit blades, it makes me a better ball striker and all this stuff. And you know, we we look at what we see in our in our testing when we when we knock blades around the facility, where standard deviations of ball speed drop off the planet when you miss a little bit, and you're just like, what are you what are you guys doing? But hey, I guess to each his own. It doesn't make you a better ball striker; it just makes how obvious of a shitty ball striker you are. <laughs> yeah, you know <laughs> like it when you pure it, I guess. But yeah. and I, so I think when you look at the the that that combination of of players, irons, and blades, that helps to explain at least why Mizuno was. You know, functionally 20% of new iron purchases, which again, putting everything in context, roughly 2x its market share. So, and we know this, we've said this time and time again, uh, Mizuno strongly over indexes with our readers, but yeah, it's it's still crazy to see, you know, to think Mizuno in our survey near 20% and then the actual market leaders, TaylorMade and Callaway, sub 15. So quite a massive gap when our readership's in the iron category. It's good to see Strixon getting up there too, because I think they're the most underrated 
company out there when it comes to irons. Like I really, I really think Strixon should be pushing that 10% um, coming. I think they will. I think they really will. I'm looking to get some new irons this year and it was between them and Mizuno. And I think I'm just going to go with Strixon again because I love that endo-forged um, iron feel, just like Mizuno. But again, I, I really like my Strixon, so why change? No, I think there's there's a lot there, and, and it's it's interesting. I think Strixon has continually continued to miss a huge opportunity. I think part of the reason they're they're underrated, and I would agree with you on that, Harry, that they are, particularly in the iron category, is that they have components to the story around their irons that, for whatever reason, they just choose not to tell. Mizuno has done a great job of that over time. I mean, the mm-hmm. idea of that nothing feels uh, like a Mizuno, and they've gotten into that and, and really established a great relationship with, with their foundry. And Tony could speak more to that because he's been there on site and seen what's going, you know, what's going on there. But on the on the Strixon side, they do work with Endo, which is one of the top two or three or four premier forging houses in the world. And, yeah. you know, Endo makes very high-end stuff under its own label as Epon, uh, a new brand coming out in Japan that we're going to write about here in about a month. Proto Concept or Proto C is also an Endo Forged product, but they're at a much, much higher price point. You're going to be $300 plus per club, per club head. And, and it really is in that category of a high-end, you know, Mizuno, Mayura, uh, some of these other ones, Fujimoto, you go down the list, PRGR, Yamaha, Yonix, etc. And Strixon should absolutely be mm-hmm. in that conversation or seated at that table. Um, and I just think, I, I think they don't do a very good job of putting themselves there, telling that particular part of the story, because there's more people like you, Harry, that would, I think, resonate with that. And people would go, oh, damn, I can get that level of forging, that yeah. level of quality for this price point. That's awesome. I think Chris is right. When you when you talk about irons, and again, I personally haven't haven't had a ton of experience with Strixon, but you know, I hear the feedback. Right, I know guys who play them. They're shame on you, Tony. I know, but he's playing hybrids, <laughs> like one of these universally <laughs> universally loved products in the iron category, and so you know, they they really should be in the same part of that conversation that Mizuno is in, right? And, you know, I think... Absolutely. You you talk about those fine forgings, right? When I think of a fine iron forging, I don't think TaylorMade, I don't think Callaway. I I think Mizuno, I go to Mizuno first, and, you know, Titleist Mm -hmm. certainly does good work there. And, and yeah, the the next one up is Shrixon. And so I think, yeah, that's a brand that should be elevated, but it it is sort of on Shrixon to tell that story. Yeah, and historically, those major companies, Callaway, Titleist, Etc. Up through certain series, I think it was like maybe 680 with Titleist, Callaway, like the Apex Black, obviously the legacy stuff that um, that Stenson had played. A lot of those products were Endo Forged. So when they wanted their high end premium forging, those companies oftentimes went through Endo. And so the reality was that, uh, what was it, the tailor made the old rack stuff, like you had the layman box toes, those were Mayura forged. And so you could go back through and look at these different individual releases, and when they wanted a high-end premium forging, it was Mayura, it was um, Endo. Wasn't Tiger Woods, is, like when he was on on his game, he had... Was it Endo Forged or it was like... There's a lot of rumors. There were some strong Mura rumors, but... Mura, okay. Yeah, they weren't being forged out of a 
large house in Taiwan or China and you know as, as some of the other products they were yeah they were taken care of in one one regard or the other so should Strixon be up there yeah absolutely are they not telling that story like I said Tony Japanese companies tend to be a little bit less boastful around some of those things again I'd put Nippon in there from an iron shaft standpoint they could tell a much larger story but it's it's not really in their ethos it's not in their DNA to jump up in front of others and say hey look at us even though they would have every right to that's right. We see that, right? The the big five are, are the are the ones that beat the loudest drums. Okay. If we move on to wedges, we actually had something surprising here. Our most wanted winner in 2020, Hanma TW4, was not it didn't even rank for us. Chris, what do you what do you take away from that? Yeah, these are there are two places like I said where where things kind of deviated from our testing. I thought was interesting. In the iron category was talked about, Hanma was very low again. It's TR20. The P and V series both tested uh, very well. Actually, V did, uh, I believe, was the most wanted in that players category previously. And then you have the wedges, again, that did exceptionally well. What do I make of that? You know, for whatever reason, it didn't resonate with our buyers. I think you flip around and you look at things that maybe ultimately, you know, impacted people's buying decisions. Again, it's hard to get away from Vokey in, in some of these regards because... They do have so many guards. Well, where do I go to even see a Honma wedge? Yeah, mm. that's that's a great point. If I wanted to even go to a store that's going to put duct tape on the sole and face so that I can actually tell nothing about the performance, where do I where do I go? No, it's perfect because at our club the last weekend, we had a, a Titleist fitting day at our club. Well, the more of those events and things that you have, people get there, they get fit. Again, I would much rather have somebody get fit for a wedge by a professional fitter than buy any other wedge off the rack. And so you have more of these opportunities. Titleist has a great process and, and way of going about that. And so it gets to the fact that you can't just have performance. You have to have distribution. And there's a reality of how you're going to outreach, outreach opportunity for people to purchase, try, get fit for certain products. And hey, if I can get fit for that, and, and again, Vokey's ubiquitous, right? Like it's not, there isn't a retail store. It isn't in. If you're going to get fit for wedges, they're probably going to carry Vokey, right? And so that doesn't surprise me at all that Vokey was, was number one in that regard. But, you know, to me, it speaks of the distribution, like Tony said, and the, the availability, uh, access uh, to those products. Harry, do you think it's an accessibility problem or just that it's not one of the Power 5 brands and, you know, they're just always fighting an uphill battle? I would say Wedges is a little bit of a niche. I think if you're a brand loyalist and you want to go with Callaway or whatever, I think the Wedges is the ones that starts to give just purely because you see a lot of people on tour that use Vokey. You see them in the stores all around the country you see that and you see Cleveland. When it comes to Callaway, you you see them, but they're sometimes in this in the picture, they're not always in the picture. TaylorMade's kind of the same way, in my opinion. Even though that we test them and we can we know that it's a good wedge, everyone's gonna be like, Well, Honma, I didn't even know they had a wedge, you know? All right, let's move on and wrap this up with putters. Tony, what what surprised you? Wedges and putters, we in both categories we had a Costco Kirkland sighting. So that's uh, all right. Get it. That's pretty wild to see both, you know, both categories, the Costco, you know, creeping up over 1%, which is, you know, again, more than we can say about some of the more established brands. Odyssey, number one, not a super big surprise by any stretch, but that, that they were mm. so much ahead of Scotty Cameron caught me a little bit by surprise. 
But the one that that really I don't borderline shocked me was was TaylorMade, uh, a a very strong third. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you know, almost eight or so percentage points ahead of Ping and Evenroll and you know these brands that that historically have tested well. Though I should mention, like TaylorMade putters have have tested really well for us over the years as well. So um, that one was was certainly surprising to see TaylorMade there. Hey, credit to them, strength of the Spider lineup, etc. But yeah. I would love to find out what the other is. Like all of those little brands that come into this, that'd be interesting one. Yeah, and I mean, we we kind of got niche I mean, we had small putter companies on <laughs> listed to say the least. So I mean, we can yeah. go back through and see, but you do get some some obscure stuff for sure, especially in the putter category. So that's because Barba took the survey. Yeah, lab, <laughs> yeah. lab putters above 1%. And, and sometimes it's, it's it's things where people just don't read all the choices. So you're like, hey, what brand of putter did you purchase most recently? And then they'll select other and type in Mizuno. <laughs> like it's right there. Like we had a box for that. Surprising to see that Wilson is not up there as high as I thought because they make a solid putter at a bang for your buck price. That is like every year, every, every single year. year, every year, dude. They're they're up there and they do really really well. Maybe it's the name. I don't. I really don't know. But there should be a lot more people playing that putter because it's a solid putter line. Did Tommy Armour rank on any of the putter stuff? I don't have it. Up yeah. In front so of me. so again, I mean, again, like like two and a half, three percent. It's a functional tie with between Wilson, Tommy Armour, and Mizuno. All yeah. About that, you know, two points something or one point, you know. So again, outperforming. I guess kind of outkicking your coverage, so to speak, right? Like. They, you know, I put Tommy Armour there. The other thing that was interesting to me about the putters was we've seen this shift away from blades and towards mallets in, in some regard, just in terms of the type of putter you use. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, once upon a time, if you had any type of stroke that wasn't like kind of straight back, straight through, and you didn't want big, heavy perimeter weighted putters, you had to go with a blade, right? There, You didn't really have an option for somebody like Tony that has a really strong arcing stroke, or even someone like me that has more of a mid arc on my stroke. And now you do, right? There's all these different hosel options. Mention even roll in there coming in at number five. That was surprising to me that it still continued to resonate that highly with our readers, but they have a lot of different options. So now, if you had something that previously was really only satisfied by a blade-type putter, a stroke that would fit that, that's not the case anymore. So you can get kind of the best of both worlds and get some of that additional stability and features of the mallet putter. Even if you have a strong arcing stroke or a mid-arcing stroke, you don't need to stick with the blade anymore. And so I think that's part of the reason we're possibly seeing some of that shift, too. Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's roughly fifty-three to forty-seven percent of the the putter purchases by our readers were were mallets, and you know, I'm I'm confident that if we had asked that same question probably even five years ago, the numbers would have been at least reversed, Be maybe even 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 more strongly favoring blades. Sixty forty, yeah, yeah. So again, I think you're exactly right on the reasons. This idea that that mallets have evolved now, and you know, I I haven't found a a mallet that works for my excessively strong arc, but you know, <laughs> you're an outlier in so many ways, Tony. We're, yeah, we're, we're... You should try. You should try the sick putter. The sick putter has a really strong um, toe down. I may be the only guy to ever put a Ventus Black in a in a five hybrid. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, um, you're going to be playing the full hybrid bag here soon. It'll be like the four bread, five bread, six bread, seven bread. 
I mean, my iron game sucks. If I can eliminate all irons from my bag, I'd shape strokes. So. <laughs> SGI, baby. All right. I want to bring this discussion full circle um, and remind everyone that this was a survey of our readers. And I'm wondering, guys, how do you think that results might differ in the golf community as a whole? I mean, do you think that the information we got is reflective of the larger community and it might represent a shift in brand perceptions? Or do you think we see different results? I think in terms of, you know, um, good question. Mizuno being the outlier in the iron category, but otherwise I think, you know, brand wise, we, we largely mirror the market as a whole. I would say, you know, the, the two things that stand out to me about our readers, and I can't be certain about this, but you know, there's strong suggestions of this in the data. Our reader is going to be more likely to replace his clubs more often than their typical golfer. Uh, I think we can say that confidently. And then the other piece is just looking at the iron category part of it. You know, we, we grossly, grossly, grossly over index in the blade category and probably equally yeah. as grossly, if not more grossly under index in the SGI category. So I think, you know, you, you could probably at least flip those two um, and you'd be closer to a representation of the market. Even then we'd be, we'd probably be high for blade usage and, and low for SGI. Yeah. I think the other place too, Miranda, to point that out is you take a company, uh, I'll mention sub 70 again, where we talk often about there being, you know, call it 24, 25 million golfers. Of that roughly six to seven million tend to handle the majority of the purchasing every year. When you talk about that market at large, in in a in a large regard, we're talking about that six to seven million golfers. Well, there's another eighteen or so million golfers out there that don't necessarily or haven't historically driven a lot of these numbers. So the opportunity for a company like a sub seventy, maybe tour edge in there as well, or some of these other direct to consumer companies. That part of the market, that 16 to 18 million people that, again, kind of buy golf clubs more the way that I would buy a pair of jeans, right? Like, I want to get in, get out. I got three questions. Does it fit? Will it last a while? Does it look reasonably decent? Good. Give me three pairs and I'm out. People that buy golf clubs like that, the opportunity for a sub-70 is absolutely huge moving forward. So how they continue to grow and move into that space of that other 18 million golfers is something that I'm going to be very, very intrigued to watch moving forward. We don't know. Harry, what do you think? Are these results reflective of the golf community as a whole? You play with a lot of different people in a lot of different arenas. Is this what you're seeing in your competitors' bags? I'm seeing a lot of mixed shit, to be honest. I mean, it depends on what golf course you go to. I go to a couple. I go to my, <laughs> my country club. I go to a municipal course around the corner and I'm seeing like Tommy Armour 845s from back in the day. Like they haven't changed it. I'm seeing a big Bertha steelhead, a, a whole array of clubs that should be on a wall, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go to my country club and I think it would be an interesting question to pose next year. Am I a part of a country club or am I uh, like a municipal kind of course? Just to see if there's any correlation between, hey, if I can afford a, a membership um, or I like to be part of a club, I should say, is is my bag going to be updated more? Based on my experience, no. No. I, I mean, it's so interesting, but it would be because there's definitely, like I think about people in my course where it's like, you'll pay 
X thousand dollars to to join a course and you'll pay X hundred dollars per month and you'll do that. And then, you know, you look in their bag and it's like, you must have spent all your money on everything else yeah. because you won't pay the fifteen hundred dollars in to update your set of irons. Now, the other hand, there's people that are like, you know, they'll show up to the demo and day and they'll say, Hey, I'm buying a driver from you. Let's just find one that fits. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be you it, know. I, I can't prove this. I have I have zero, zero data for this. So let me be clear about it. But my hunch is right, if you're a member of a club, for the most part, right, there is there's always a competitive aspect to it, whether it's a, a club championship or even a, a Saturday morning Nassau, right? There, there's always something on the line. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and so so with that in mind, my hunch is that it's it's a class of golfer that is more likely to spend money on lessons than on equipment. That's just a hunch. Hmm. No I still think you should bring back the series, Tony, where you did like Tuesday night league or Wednesday night. I'm going league to. That's you coming just did back. like random what's random in the bag. What's for, in the bag is coming back. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I enjoyed. I look forward to that every week. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> like the dude that we found had two six hybrids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. All right, guys, lots of interesting information that can be taken away from this survey. And if you're a golfer out there, you're curious what to put in your bag, you want to see what other golfers are putting in their bag, whether there are readers or not, this is great information for you, uh, giving you a little bit more buying power. Remember, we're here every Tuesday. Don't forget to engage with us. Comment, like, subscribe. Uh, we can't wait to hear what you think. We out.